want to welcome all of you who are here in person as well as those who you are online. Thank you for joining us in person, church. Would you welcome our online folks with a, a round of applause, if you will? Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, in a world where there's lots of uh, argument and division and separation and bad news, there's a lot of good news going on here at uh, South Sub Church and uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for, we have over 17 families that are couples that have signed up for our Reconnected classes, uh, and uh, uh, a number of them don't attend church here, so there are folks from the community, so we're excited about welcoming folks to the com from the community as this congregation seeks to be a place where marriages are strengthened and families are, are celebrated. Um, we have a number of families that are looking uh, at uh, wanting to uh, learn more about what it means to be a part of this congregation. And so I want to just put this out ahead of time so you have time to think about it and look at your schedule. But on February 6th, Sunday, February 6th, we're going to be having a next steps right after our second service. Uh, so at noon-ish. <laughs> and uh, okay, I thought that was funny. You didn't. But um, <laughs> Uh, so uh, if you're interested in that, uh, you can uh, go uh, to our website at southsub.church and register for it, or if you're not sure about all that, you can email office at South Sub Church or just call the church office, and our uh, team would be glad to help you get registered for that. So put that on your calendar now, February 6th, our next steps. Uh, I'll be leading that, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, we were trying to think of a good name. Should we call it Next Steps? Should we call it... Uh, um, uh, starting point. I kind of like stump the preacher. So uh, if you if you have any questions or 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 want to learn about a certain aspect of our church, I invite you uh, to register for that on February sixth. We're in the third week of uh, our chosen uh, series. Uh, this is you are cherished. And if you saw the episode, it is Jesus meeting with the children. And um, I, I just want to forewarn you that some of you may want me to resign after this message. So um, um, I, this is something uh, near and, and close to my heart, and uh, I want you to, um, my hope and my expectation is, um, I, I was really, this is just a, a disclaimer, I was really kind of concerned about it. I said to my wife, I said, would you read this sermon for me? Uh, be before, normally what my wife does is when she's having trouble sleeping, she reads my sermons. But um, um, nevertheless, I said, would you read this for me? And, and she read it. And as wives are, right, Pastor Joe, they're very honest in their, in their critiques. And um, um, they're almost as honest as you guys, but they're nicer than you guys. And uh, one of the things that she said is, is, we've really outlined the problem here, but we haven't given the answer. And of course, you know, the answer is always Jesus, right? But that as I went back and looked at it, that's true. There's a lot of questions that I want to raise with you today. There are some answers, but there's not a whole lot of answers, because really the, the good news of this message is, is you, and how you will seek the Spirit's guidance. And I'm not saying I have it all squared away, but having uh, kids of our own, four kids of our own, uh, we see this in our culture over and over and over again about how our culture thinks about and and, and thinks about the gift of children. The, uh, but at the same time, this is a word of encouragement for us as the children of God. So our, our, our lessons from Isaiah 43, we're working through Isaiah 43, so if you have your Bibles or, or your phones or your tablets or however you read God's word, 
If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 43, we're only going to be looking at two verses this morning, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. That's a confusing verse right there. We'll come back to that. Precious, uh, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and understanding to it. Would you direct your attention to the screens for the first part of uh, this week's episodes? Where were you yesterday? I had to stay in town later on. There was a woman who needed my help. Did you bug something for her? No. You remember when I said that I have a job that is bigger than my trade? There is a woman who has had much pain in her life. And she was in trouble. So I helped her. Is she your friend? She is now. And I have chosen her and others and more soon to join me in traveling. Do they know you? Not yet. But what if they don't like you? <laughs> Many won't. This is my reason for being here. I still don't understand. What is your reason for being here? I'm telling you this because even though you are children and the elders in your life have lived longer. Many times, adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith, really tightly, someday soon, you will understand all of what I am saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? Yes, we meant to cut it off there. You'll remember these words. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This past week, we celebrated the legacy, life, and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., in Matthew's Gospel, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, 
For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. From Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Buckle up, dads. <laughs> Fathers, mm. do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know that you probably don't remember it, but on August 29th, 2021, just a few months ago, I preached a sermon on that passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It was in our gospel series. In that message, I suggested that our culture pays a lot of lip service to being child-centered. We, we talk a lot about how children are important to us, that we love, that we value children, and I suggested to you that I don't necessarily believe that that's true as a culture. It was bad enough when I was a kid. We didn't need, uh, I remember even going to my aunt's and uncle's house where my uncle, who had been a missionary in Guam, he and his, and his wife, my, who was my father's sister, and he believed and would state quite, quite freely, children ought to be seen and not heard. Y'all might remember some of those sentiments as well. Today, we don't even want to see our children. And way too many institutions, from housing to hotels to car manufacturers, from restaurants to public transportation, penalize families that have more than three kids. Our culture does not encourage families to have children, and our culture judges families that have more than one or two children. Meanwhile, worldwide, birth rates are plummeting. I gave you some stats at that message that I'm going to give to you again. 183 out of 195 nations worldwide are below the replacement level of 2.1 children per family. Major universities across the world have studied this, and all of them agree that by the year 2100, we will have a planet with twice as many senior citizens as there are young people. And some people might say, well, what difference does that make? Well, who's going to provide those seniors, most of them as me and you by the 2100, probably our kids by the year 2100 will be the senior citizens. There will be no one to provide health care for them. No one to help drive the trucks that provide food supplies. No one to build the houses in which we need to live. Today, there are four times more young people than senior citizens. But with current birth rates, by the year 2200, countries will be competing for immigrants as migration will be the only way to keep industrial powers like the United States, China, and Europe running. One study done by the University of College of London has projected that if current levels of, quote, having babies continues its gradual decline, the human race will face the risk of extinction by the year 2300. The University of Oxford predicts that in order to reverse this trend, women in developed nations, like the United States, will need to start have, averaging three to six kids, assuming infant mortality rates will increase as the population shrinks. Developing nations will need to have twice that number. Well, when I preached that message, and that was the highlights of that message, at least the bad news of that message, when I preached that message, you know how many emails I got over that message? Zero. 
None of you argued with me over it. None of you agreed with me over it. And I suspect that you, like me, when we hear things that really unsettle us about the trends of our culture and the trend of our world, we sometimes revert to the idea of just simply putting our heads in the sand or saying, well, somebody else will fix it or it will be changed by somebody else. At, but because I had preached it, you know, you know how it is when you talk about something or you experience something, your radar is, is more attuned to it. And I read the Denver Post. I know, don't judge me. I read the Denver Post every single morning. It's the first thing I do. Well, the first thing I do is make a cup of coffee. But then the next thing I do is I read the Denver Post. Interestingly enough, since I preached that message in, in, in August, the Denver Post has published over a half dozen articles and, uh, uh, on issues of fertility and birth rates. I, I, I screenshotted every one of them. I, I read the post on my, on my iPad. I have them in my photo. I need to put them in an album because no one believes me. Those articles are buried deep within the paper, not on the front page of any of the sections. And the Denver Post reported that the population increase in the year 2021 was one-tenth of one percent. That's the smallest growth in population in recorded history. And Texas is the only state that was keeping up with new births. How many folks here from Texas? Okay, well, there's a few of you that are kind of ashamed to raise your hand. You apparently, the only ones know what you're doing are down there in Texas. These articles that I've just cited to you don't even count the op-eds, one by a conservative columnist with the New York Times who sounded the alarm that falling birth rates and the economic impact of not having children is leading to more deaths of older Americans because of the lack of health care and service providers, which incidentally was one of my points from back in the sermon. And before you think this is some crazy-sounding noise from just conservatives, a liberal op-ed columnist from Bloomberg, who's also a professor at George Mason University, wrote that the growing inflation rate is largely being exacerbated by declining birth rates. He concludes in his op-ed, America is in a funk, and low population growth is both a cause and a symptom. And he goes on to argue that the federal family policy programs are continuing to discourage families from having children, which is only exacerbating the problem. You might have remember or have read that on January 5th, the Pope scolded Catholics for replacing children with pets. One progressive journalist suggested that the Pope might want to allow priests to marry and have children. Then at least the messaging of Rome would be consistent. I have to admit, I kind of chuckled at that one. <laughs> but then she said, we will not turn back the clock on our newfound freedom and have babies. That was a quote. Having children is bondage? Have we bought that lie? And she continued that this discussion is due to exaggerated concerns about the population decline. And yet the studies from major research universities do not support her conclusion. 
One letter to the editor from the Denver area resident wrote in criticism of the Pope that the decision of many couples to not have children is due to lifestyle, personal needs, experiences, values, family situations, financial resources, and other factors. And to that, that's true. I agree. It is an indicator that our culture's values are no longer influenced by Scripture or Christian culture. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that Christian culture is fading even in the church. As the church's culture is slowly being replaced by a pagan culture that has always sacrificed children for the good harvest or victory in war or financial prosperity. We may not put them in ovens, in the shape of a pagan god anymore. But there are ways that we communicate that they are not important enough for us to sacrifice for. I'm asking you to ask yourselves how the church can be more child-friendly. How you can be more child-friendly in your own families, regardless of whether or not you have biological children of your own or, or still in the home. I was ordained in 1995, was licensed in 1992, and for most of my ministries, every single church I have served has shuffled children out of worship. I remember at my last church, whenever children would stay in worship, one elder would come to me and say, you need to talk to that family. That children is disturbing my ability to pay attention. I have to tell you, I wanted to punch him in the face every time he came and told me that. I'm a no, I'm a weird preacher. I need to get in with the Jesus, peace, and love, and all that. But man, that just irritated the living daylights out of me. I believe that one of the reasons we have found ourselves in the midst of a worship war is because for the last 50 years, we've pushed kids to children's church where they didn't experience the rich prayers or the traditions or the hymns or songs or the liturgy. Consequently, those things that were formative to them, that, that made them who they are today, weren't the things that made us who we are today. And then we wonder, why are we so different? Why can't we be together? Because the church didn't want to have anything to do with the kids. When they... What they received in children's church is what formed them. Now, now that's not a terrible thing. I, I started off as a, as a children's pastor, a middle school pastor. But it explains why a local pastor here in our community told me that when church members at his church reach the age of 40, they are encouraged to find another church. Why? Because their understanding of church is to reach a generation that has been largely unchurched. And folks over 40 complicate that effort because they were formed differently. I know. I have pretty strong opinions about this stuff. And let me tell you, it, I understand that it's not easy to cut and dry and, and make sense of these things. Each issue that you and I would talk about if we were having coffee together would have five or ten other influencing issues, all that build on one another. And, and, and by the time that you and I are done processing all of the contributing challenges to things like evangelism and discipleship of children, what, what comes to mind is that image from 
from uh, National Lampoon's uh, Family Christmas where Clark holds up that big knotted ball of Christmas lights where a third of them don't even work. And you've been in that situation. I've been in that situation. We pull the Christmas lights out of the box. We see the complexity of all the knots and the lights that don't work. And what do we do? Well, we'll just throw these away and go buy some new ones. And that's where we are in our culture. We've got a knot so big and so complicated and so tight that to unravel it seems like a near impossibility. And for a lot of us, we just want to say, let's just throw that ball away and go buy some new ones. Except it's not a ball of lights we're throwing away, it's an entire generation. It's a generation of our sons and our daughters and our grandsons and our granddaughters. Jesus says, let the little ones come to me. And we say, oh, thank God, let Jesus watch Johnny a little while because I'm exhausted. I get it. We have instances in Scripture where Jesus talks to children. But in every instance in the Scripture where Jesus does that, there are also adults that are around too. And I suspect that the crowd was a little more chaotic than it was in our in our, in our clip this morning where all the children are sitting quietly and they're taking turn, asking questions and listening intently. I can tell you, having children of my own, I watch this episode and I'm thinking, I've never experienced anything like that. And those of you who have children, those of you who are educators know that that's not how education of children happens. But I do think that this episode this week captures the power of the Isaiah text today. So I've laid out some of those problems that seem to me to be quite inherent when we talk about children. And I admit that they're not popular. What would have been popular for me to do today is if I stood behind this pulpit and said to you, we are a people that love children. Children have much to teach us. Children have a faith that is innocent and pure. And the truth is, is I'm not even sure that is all of our experiences this, these days. Let's look at the Isaiah text. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. What on earth does that mean? Does that mean what I think it means? Surely that can't be what it means, because when I read the Bible, everybody gets along. No one has to suffer. Some commentators have said that this is an allusion to the death of every firstborn Egyptian right before the Exodus. Remember that from your Bible story from Sunday school? Others argue that it was when the king of Assyria, which was the first nation to rise to cause great problems in the divided kingdom of Israel to the north and Judah to the south, King, the king of Assyria, having already conquered most of the known world, was making his way to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, by divine appointment, some of the ancient rabbis said, he changed course and attacked the Egyptians instead, leaving Jerusalem safe. And that actually happened historically. And historians can't figure out why. The king of Assyria, coming from the north, headed toward Jerusalem, Egypt on the other side, chose to change course, go around Jerusalem, and attack Egypt and subdue it. Makes absolutely no sense. Historians can't figure out why the king of Assyria did that. 
Others say that this was a prophetic promise after the Jews are carried off into captivity by the Babylonians to the further east of Babylon, a new nation arises, Persia, which is present-day Iran. They attack Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. And in their sweeping military victories, they come down all the way through what is today Israel and conquer Egypt. And many non-faith-based historians and social historians and, and, and anthropologists say that that was one of the contributing reasons for the king of Persia to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem because now the king of Persia had another nation serving as a buffer to his empire and not the nation of Israel. So the children of Israel were allowed to go home. That is, another people was sacrificed for God's people. Verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. And here's that phrase that we read over and say, hmm, that can't be what it really means. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Now before I finish up here, let me ask you a question. Those of you who are parents, would you die for your children? Y'all are nodding your heads, yeah. Wouldn't even have to think twice about it, would you? Let me ask you a tougher question. If there was one dose of life-saving medicine and your child and another child had this rare same disease, would you allow the other child to receive that dose of life-saving medicine? Or would you do everything in your power to save your child? Last week I talked about my father and how hard he was and, and how I didn't hear you know, the things that children always want to hear. I remember this phrase that he said to me one time that I don't know if he knew what he was saying, but man, it, it, just, it just grabbed a hold of me and shook me to the very core. And he, this is what he said to me, son, if I knew that I could ensure you're going to heaven, but it would require me to go to hell, I would gladly do it. Hold on. In 1951, a young boy, 14 years old, named James Harrison, had to have emergency heart surgery. The surgery did not go well, and during the surgery, he was required to receive 13 units of blood. Without those blood donations, he would have died. After he recovered, as a 14-year-old, he vowed that he would give blood as much as he could. Now, he couldn't because he was 14, so it wasn't until he turned 18 that he started giving blood. And he gave blood consistently, as frequently as he could. Meanwhile, doctors in Australia were struggling to figure out why thousands of births in that country were resulting in miscarriages, stillbirths, and babies born with brain defects. 
and they discovered that the babies were suffering from a condition. I won't go into all the medical explanation, mainly because I can't say the words. But nevertheless, they were suffering from a condition where the baby's blood type was so different from the mother's blood type that the mother's immune system was attacking the baby. And interestingly, in Australia, this condition was impacting 17% of all pregnancies in that nation. Researchers finally discovered that a rare antibody could prevent this. And so they began pouring through blood donations, and they found one person whose blood had that antibody. And his name was James Harrison. So they contacted him, and they said, instead of giving blood every three months or so, what we need you to do is to give plasma every week. And for 60 years, 60 years, James Harrison donated plasma every week. Yes, you heard me correctly, weekly. And in so doing, the Australian health officials said that James Harrison saved, are you ready, 2.4 million babies through his lifetime, including the lives of his own grandchildren. And how many of you had ever heard of James Harrison before today? Let's watch the second clip. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah, I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. But I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me, like you have.
Abigail, I know you can read. You are very special. This is for you. I did not come only for the wealthy. Let me tell you about another blood donor. Verse 4 of Isaiah 43. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Dr. King said, every man is somebody because he is a child of God. And if you would give your life for your child, how much more would God give his life for you? 2,000 years ago, God ended the sacrifices permanently when God the Son gave himself for you. Because in his eyes, you are precious. You are cherished. You are his children. And he loves you. <laughs>